Well, it's so nice to see all of you here. We missed you last week. You should have been here. We had a great time. I'm teasing. Thank you, Muriel. Psalm 118, so if you would turn there in your Bibles. The um, weak sheep, I'm going to embarrass Moriel. Weak sheep um, album, the last one. There's a Christian music kind of company. They did an article with Moriel about weak sheep. And anyway, they kind of came out with like this guy's year in favorite. Uh, top 20 out of 100 or 200 indie bands, and Weak Sheep was was in that top 20. And I thought that was so such a blessing. And I also, Tracy and I, the other uh, day, we got a sneak, it's not a sneak peek, it's a sneak listen to um, the next album. So... They already have a, a full, uh, Moriel has already written a bunch of songs. It's amazing how, you know, with Moriel, I know she'll go for a long time and there's nothing. And then, you know, I'll go over to the house and she'll say, um, uh, Dad, I think the Lord gave me some songs. Do you, you want to hear them? And she'll sit at the piano or grab her guitar and sit in the foyer of, their house and just kind of run through the songs and it's just amazing. It's such a blessing. We're so blessed to have them as a part of our church. For the men, our, our yearly men's breakaway uh, will be in March. It will be March 9th and it will be at Calvary Chapel South. So it will be where it's been for the past, I think, two years. And... Um, Great location, you know, there's so many men that come to that. And uh, so we're going to try to get a bus so that you guys won't have to drive. We'll probably have to drive to Mount Vernon uh, to catch the bus, but we'll kind of do what we've done in the past, uh, you know, when we've had a bus. Uh, the bus we had the last time was not fun. Yeah, yeah, we should do a plane. See, we were just parking the parking lot there, you know, land in the parking lot. Anyway, it's fun, though. It's fun to get away and to meet different men. And I don't know about you guys, you know, when you go to these and uh, we eat breakfast first thing, and usually we're all spread out and everyone's spread out. And uh, last year I was sitting at the table and just eating with complete strangers, you know, these men, the brothers in Christ. And um, one of the fellows at the table, you know, we're chatting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then Jim Cuthbertson had met the fellow, uh, and or uh, I don't know if he knows the fellow from the church there or whatever. But anyway, the fellow ended up one night at our little men's gathering, our little, you know, meeting upstairs. And, and it was the same guy that I had breakfast with at the, at the conference there. And then um, uh, just a quick thing. Some of our Sunday school teachers, they need to be in here. And they need a, a little bit of a break. And so 
Um, you know, Nate and I are rotating, and so when it's not my turn to teach, I'm going to go in and teach your children. <laughs> now, I'm going to teach that class, the, um, what grade is it? I don't even know what grade it is. I probably should figure that out. But anyway, um, I'm a little nervous about it, you know. Uh, I'm 65. I haven't done children's ministry like little kids since my 20s, um, but... Um, but I'm looking forward to getting in there. I think, I think I'll be safe. <laughs> but I would like some helpers if you'd like to come in and help. And it would just be um, January. It would be the 10th and the 24th. And we'll make sure that Nate is really on time because it's really crucial <laughs> if I'm in the <laughs> And then in February, the 7th and the 21st. So if you'd like to help out, you don't really have to do anything. Um, you could just show up and hang out and anyway. <laughs> Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron or the priest now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. Do you guys fear the Lord? Then let's say it. His mercy endures forever. Father, we pray that as we look at this psalm tonight, that you would please teach us, give us insight, help us to not only see things that we could apply to our own lives, Lord, but, Lord, that we might see the prophetic aspect of the psalms. So many of the psalms spoke prophetically of things that were coming, uh, you know, in the future from, from the standpoint of the, of the author. And so, Lord, we know that Psalm 118 is one of those psalms. So teach us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Ask your blessing upon all those that are gathered here tonight in this room, in this building. Thank you for our Sunday school teachers and the kids upstairs, the youth and all, we just pray your blessing upon all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Our Bibles. You should love your Bible. You, we, I, I'm this, you know, um, when I was a carpenter, um, you know, if, if you're serious about something, you kind of you find what works best for you. You know, when I started out as a, car, a laborer, you know, and, uh, you know, kind of an apprentice, and I went down to um, Sears, and I bought a, a hammer. I remember it was a fiberglass hammer, framing hammer, so a 20-ounce fiberglass hammer. That was a good hammer. You could really rank on that thing, and it wouldn't bust, you know, and everything. And I bought some bags, you know, carpenter bags and things like that. But, you know, as time went on, as I, you know, continued, you know, and kind of grew in the trade, everything became kind of a specialty. You know, you had a hammer that fit just right. Uh, you know, you, you just kind of knew your hammer. You had a finish hammer, if you did finish work, and you had a framing hammer. Uh, I know that for some of the younger guys, you guys don't use hammers anymore. <laughs> you use the nail gun. That would have been nice, but we had to drive everything. But anyway, our bags. 
we would have, if you weren't, if you didn't have your bags ma made, you would get a bag and then you would kind of customize it so that your tools can fit on your hips because you're carrying those things all day long. And, and, and you just kind of knew. You'd reach back. I know where my tape measure is. I know where my chalk box is. I'm reaching over here for that. I know where my framing, not framing square, uh, we had the uh, sliding squ squares at first, but then the <laughs> triangle squares, you know. Um, but anyway, you just kind of knew where it was. These are my bags. These are my tools. I'm not going to, could you imagine, I couldn't imagine as a carpenter showing up and just grabbing, you know, like, a, a bag, you know, a carpenter's bag with tools hanging off of it that just grab it and throw it on my waist and say, I'll, I'll just use these today. I couldn't imagine that. Neither could I imagine using just a Bible off the shelf. I really couldn't. There's something about, you know, I keep coming back to this Bible. I, 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 I've gotten new Bibles. I've got a new Bible. I use it on Sunday morning. The print is bigger, but I love this Bible. I've had this Bible forever. Uh, this Bible has gone through so many transitions, you know. It didn't come like this. I had this put on. When I had this put on, it was like a rawhide. It was a natural uh, leather co color. I decided I wanted it to be black one day, so I went out and bought black, you know, <laughs> stain to stain the, the, the leather. And But the point is, is that this Bible, my hand just kind of knows well, there, there, here's Ezekiel, and here's Jeremiah, and you just kind of become familiar with that. I'm not saying we all have to have fancy covers on our Bibles, but we should have our own Bible. Uh, the, the phone, you know, guys, one day the phones aren't going to work any longer. You know that. And you're going to have to go back to a paper Bible anyway. But, but to know your Bible, to have your Bible. Um, I'm such a freak about my Bible. I don't leave this in the building. When I, when I leave the building, like if I was going to go home on Wednesday night to eat dinner and shower and everything and come back, I take my Bible with me. You say, why would you do that? You're coming back to it. You're not going to read it while you're showering or eating. That's true. But I just think, man, if there was a fire and I lost this thing, I don't know what I'd do. I know what I'd do. I'd just get another Bible. The point is, is this. Our Bibles are unique. Our Bibles... They took about 1,600 years to put together. There were written 66 books, we know, 40 different, I almost want to say authors, but there's only one author, and that's the Lord. One author, you know what I'm referring to, in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, 44 writers, one author. Of course, when our Bibles were written, they weren't written in a book form. They were written on parchment. Um, they were put together over a long, long period of time. The authors didn't even know each other. Some of them, of course, knew each other, but many of them did not know each other. They didn't live in the time that some of the authors were writing the things that they were writing. Our modern Bibles, in our modern Bibles, of course, we have chapters and verses. Aren't you glad? 
Could you imagine if we had to, you know, okay, we're going to be in Psalm 18, and you're kind of flipping around, and you're trying to find in the scroll, you know, where Psalm 118 is. That, that would be really, really difficult. In fact, you'd have to carry around like a sack of scrolls, you know, <laughs> to have a complete, a complete book. But our modern Bible, in our modern Bible, they tell us that Psalm 118 and verse 8, I'm emphasizing this for a reason, that Psalm 118 and verse 8 is the center of our Bible. That's what they tell us. So look at it, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So is that the center of the Bible? If it's the center of the Bible, what a great verse to have there. This psalm is called a sandwich psalm because it begins and ends the same way. So verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for, his, uh, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And then verse 29, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So it begins and it ends with the same verse. In our Bibles, our modern-day Bibles, not the Catholic Bible, <laughs> not the Jehovah Witness Bible, but the Bible, the Word of God, we have 594 chapters before Psalm 118. We have 594 chapters after Psalm 118. <coughs> There's a total of, listen, 1,188 Chapters, the center of the Bible, one, one, eight, eight. <laughs> That's amazing. The psalm, uh, the psalm is, um, it's, a, it's beautiful for many, many reasons. But I, I just think of how our Bibles are under attack. And, and people are believing the lies because they do not know or believe the truth. If we're not people of the word, we will eventually be duped and we will probably begin to believe the lies. I don't know if you guys listen to any podcast or have read anything about this whole deconstruction movement, you know, people deconstructing from their faith. I no longer believe. And it's interesting, I've watched a few of them and read a few articles about it. And some of these people have, who have deconstructed their faith, they say things like, um, once I'd done the research, I realized that there are people in the Bible that never existed. It's like, what people are they referring to? What people never existed? You know, guys, there's always been this criticism. Do you know that higher criticism, these are the scholarly type, you know, they claim to be, you know, scholarly theologians, you know, but they, they don't believe the word of God. They don't believe the inspiration of the word of God. They don't believe the Lord of the word of God. They just simply criticize the word of God. But higher criticism, you know, in that camp, they've said things, and this is times past. I mean, this isn't recent, but... 
they believe that um, there might have been three Daniels. Because there's no way that Daniel could have written the things that he had written, uh, not seen these things. Not even, so there had to be a Daniel that you know was early on in the Babylonian captivity, and then one that was kind of you know toward the end of the Babylonian captivity, and then the last Daniel, of course, would be the one that deals with all the prophecy stuff. Well, the book of Daniel is full of prophecy. I don't even know how they divide up the book of Daniel that way. It's full of Bible prophecy. It begins and it ends with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks. I was thinking, I was reading that, and uh, yesterday I was, I was thinking of, I was thinking of that verse, you know, Lord, what is that verse about not giving thanks? And, and then, you know, and then I, I remembered what it was, Romans 1.21. There's a lot of examples of this, but this one comes to mind. It might have came to mind even as I was reading uh, the verse from Psalm 118. But, but Romans 12.21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. but became futile or empty or foolish in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And I thought, wow. Paul, were you saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if we're not thankful to God, we'll become empty in our thoughts? And when we become empty in our thoughts, we'll become foolish in our hearts. And they'll become dark. Not thankful if we don't have thankful hearts. You know, I think of verses like Ephesians 5.20. There Paul wrote, give thanks always for all things, all things, all things, to God, the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You say, Dan, that's kind of become your pet peeve the older you get. You're always talking about being thankful. It has become kind of my thing, being thankful. I just, um, I don't know when the change took place, but I'm glad that it happened in my life, and I pray that I never lose sight of it. I was thinking this morning, you know, I, uh, the alarm goes off, and boy, you want to hit that thing, you know, and <laughs> delay your, especially this time of year, because it's just so dark out, you know. And, but anyway, I kind of, you know, oh, you know, <laughs> it's like I rolled out of bed, and as I'm rolling out of bed, I said, thank you, Lord. As I'm rolling out of bed, I say, thank you, Lord, that I don't have vertigo. I haven't had vertigo. Thank you for your prayers. I haven't had vertigo for a few weeks, and it feels so good to make that movement from a laying down movement to an upright movement without feeling like you're going to spin out. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have vertigo. 
Thank you, Lord. My foot, I banged my foot up. I'm an old guy, so, you know, it doesn't take much, you know. I could probably go like this and have a broken finger. No, I'm not that brittle. But anyway, um, but my foot's been kind of banged up. And so I, two nights ago, it was just throbbing in the middle of the night, you know. You know how that is when you get, and you're too sleepy to get up to do anything about it. Like, I don't know what you're going to do about it anyway, ice or something. But, but I, this morning, I got up and I said, oh, Lord, thank you that my foot doesn't hurt anymore. Thank you, Lord. I start to stand up. Thank you, Lord, that my back does. I know I sound like an old guy. I'm sorry for the younger people. Eventually, one day you'll know what I'm talking about. But, but the point is, is that to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for our home. Thank you, Lord, for your provisions. Thank you for our health, Lord. That's what I was saying. I said, thank you, Lord, that we don't have anyone in our family that's dealing with chronic illness. A lot of families have people that are dealing with chronic illness. That's a drag. I mean, you know, when you're not feeling good, you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. You just want to stay there all day. And then you hate the fact that you have to stay there all day, you know. And so to be thankful for all things, and I think that that's, a blessing to the Lord. I think that that's pleasing to the Lord. Do you know that Psalm 118, you're probably thinking, is he ever going to get around to teaching it? I am, I'm getting there. But Psalm 118 is the last of the Passover Psalms. And so there's a very good chance that Jesus and his disciples sang this psalm when they were leaving the upper room and going out to the Garden of Gethsemane. You might say, well, where do you get that? In Matthew's Gospel account. In Matthew's Gospel account, it says, and when they had sang a hymn, now the hymn, of course, would be the Psalms. When they had sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And it was Passover, after all, and this is the last of the Passover songs. And maybe they had sung the other Passover songs, you know, during the meal and during the evening and everything. And, and perhaps they sang this song as they were making their way out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane? You guys remember I'll tell you what's intriguing about this psalm, Psalm 118, is that it alludes to different things in Jesus' life, like his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at verses 5 through 7. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place you know if, if David wrote this song what would he say you set me in a what would what, what, come on guys you can know in a high place but the author of this psalm says in a broad place <coughs> spacious place the Lord is on my side I will not fear what can man do to me the Lord is for me uh, uh, or, or I'm sorry, the Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on, on those who hate me. The Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, would you, if you can, I know it's hard when 
we only have so many fingers, but can you keep a finger in um, Psalm 118 and then turn over to Mark's gospel? Because we're going to kind of go back and forth. I thought we'll just stay in one gospel account rather than looking at different gospels because it's just, it's just too hard to, to turn to all of them. So in, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14. And verse 32, I love that sound. See, you can't, <laughs> you know, what sound do you get off the, <laughs> the sound of, this, that takes me back to when I first got saved. That was the most amazing thing, to be in a church and to hear people turn to their different Oh, I love it. Anyway, okay. All right. I know. I'm easily to imp easy to impress. Okay. Verse 32. Then they came to the place which was named Golgotha. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he, and he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Psalm 118 seems to allude to Golgotha. Psalm 118 seems to allude to Jesus' time on the pavement, the praetorium. Remember when the, the, the Romans, they took him and they, they began to, was it, was it the Romans at that point or was it the temple guard? Anyway, those in authority, they began to slap him and they mocked him and they beat him and, and that type of thing. It was just so horrible what our Lord had gone through. There's, again, verse 8, the center of the Bible. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Jesus had no confidence in princes. What are you talking about? Pilate. <clears throat> he had no confidence in man. You know, maybe Caesar will come to my aid. Maybe the king of Israel will come to my aid, you know. Maybe somebody will help me out. Some man will come and, and, and stand in the gap, you know, for my sake. Look at Mark chapter 15. And verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they 
called together the whole garrison and they clothed him with purple and they twisted a crown of thorns. So that's where that crown came from and put it on his head and began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him and bowing the knee, they worshiped him, mock worship, of course. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and, and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Psalm 118. It seems to allude to Jesus' time at Golgotha. Golgotha. Look at verses 10 on down. All nations surround me. Do you remember the Psalms? Remember Psalm 22? All nations surround me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me. Yes, they surround me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me like bees. <laughs> they were quenched like, fire of thorn, like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them or cut them off. You say, how does this tie in? Guys, guys, remember, Jesus spoke before the cross of the destruction of Jerusalem, the things that would happen. Oh, is Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you knew the day of your visitation. But because you have not, they will build embankments against you. They will destroy your city. They were cut off. For 1,900 years, they were cut off. Israel, modern-day Israel, is an absolute, genuine miracle that they exist today. That's God's grace, but even that was prophesied. Anyway, it, it goes on. Verse 13, you push me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live <laughs> and declare the works of the Lord. Uh, the Lord has chastened me or disciplined me. Remember Isaiah 53.10, guys? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Guys, know the word of God. And it's like, it's like these explosions in your mind and in your heart when you consider that these things were prophesied, these things were spoken beforehand, and, and it's so beautiful. The Lord knew what was coming, and yet he was obedient. But he has not given me over to death. Isaiah speaks about that, you know, the fact that, that Jesus would see the fruit of his labor kind of in a loose translation of that. Uh, you know, the suffering of the cross. He would see it. He would see it. He would live again. He would be alive again. Uh, again, in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 15, we'll just look at one verse there. Verse 29, those who pass by blaspheme him, wagging their heads and saying, oh, 
You who destroyed the temple and build it in three days. One more. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Wow. Psalm 118. It seems to allude to his second coming. Look at verse 19 down a few. Verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will come through them. And I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. <laughs> through which the righteous shall enter. You say, well, that's a stretch. Why do you think? I'm going to give you a few minutes to find it because it's hard to find this book. Because you rarely read it. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 43. you got to turn there so you can look at it. Ezekiel 43. You say, how do, that's a stretch. How do you think that that alludes to the second coming of Jesus? Because precept upon precept, you know, line upon line. You know, it's comparing scripture with scripture. In Ezekiel 43... The first few verses of Ezekiel. Sounds like you're there. Afterward, he brought me to the gate. Oh, open up the gates. He brought me to the gate and the gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters. Listen, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but you know what, Bible students, we could say, we could say, I knew that. We could say that. If we're students of the word of God, because you know what, as soon as I read that, I thought of what it says in Revelation. His voice was like the sound of many waters. See, guys, the Bible, the, the, the authors, though they be many, though they never knew each other in this life, on this earth, they wrote of the same things. And, and the similarities are to build our faith. This is that hearing the word of God. By hearing the word of God, faith is built by hearing the word of God. It's the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. And I'll tell you, I would avoid people that think that, you know, the play down the word of God. I would, I would, I would avoid them because they will probably have a more negative effect upon you than you will upon them unless you're really, really zealous about the word of God and always kind of correcting them because there's a lot of people out there that just, they kind of believe in this like, um, Rima, Ra, what's a, Rhema. Rhema word. God is, you know, the, there's like new revelation coming from the Lord all the time. That's a lie. The word of God said, it's, it's done. It's sealed up. You know, this, this is a complete prophecy. You know, the word of God. We don't need any more prophecies, and especially any prophecy that's going to, you know, <laughs> undercut or, or try to wash away what's been written. We don't want to have anything to do with that anyway. So stay away from avoid people like that, like the plague. There's a lot of people like that. They profess to be Christians. They have no love for the word of God. There's a problem because it's the spirit who is the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. The word tells us this is true. <laughs> Do 
Do you see what I'm saying, guys? So we, ha- we should have such great confidence in the word of God that if something came out tomorrow and said, oh, you know, these scientists or these theologians, or whatever, they've disproved that, you know, there never was a David or a Jonathan or whatever, whatever, whatever. You just go, oh, bunk, you know. I mean, anyone that would think that, you know, some new information is going to come, we're lied to all the time anyway. Let's stand upon the truth that we have, the unchanging word of God. But anyway, okay, let me get back to this. Let me start all over. It says, afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions... Where were like the vision which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. Now we've got to go to chapter 44. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces toward the east. Again, we could say, I knew that. (laughs) I just read it in chapter 43. It faces toward the east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be open, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. Do you know about the East Gate in Jerusalem? If you've gone to Israel, you know about the East Gate. Look at pictures. They're so profound. If you go to Israel, you stand, you'll you'll go to the Mount of Olives, and as you're standing on the Mount of Olives, so Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount, you know, I don't know what the elevation is, but you're kind of looking across at the Temple Mount there, Of course, the temple's not there. From the Mount of Olives, you're looking and you see this obvious arch where there was a gate. That's the east gate. The east gate shall be shut, Ezekiel was told. It was shut. It was shut in the 1500s by the Turks, by the the Ottoman Empire. Why did they do that? Could it be because they read Psalm 118 and they read read Ezekiel 43? And so they thought, let's try to keep Messiah from entering through this gate. Guys, Jesus entered through that gate in his life, in his lifetime. No, the the cities, the, the walls, They don't date back to the time of Christ. So that's where it gets a bit confusing. But the East Gate that's there today, that was there in the 1500s when the Turks bricked it up, blocked it up, is in the same location where the gate where Jesus entered into the... In fact, this is why, guys, it's it's so intriguing, this whole thing, you know. 
Temple Mount, where's the, the, the temple going to sit? Some believe that the temple sat right where the Dome of the Rock sits today. You know, you go into the Dome of the Rock, you can't go into it now. You used to be able to go into it. Uh, but you, you go into it, you kind of think, oh man, what is gonna, what's going to be in there? And there's a big rock in there. And, uh, and they say, this is where uh, Abraham offered up Ishmael. Now that should, you should say, oh, they got that wrong. Yeah, they did get that wrong because Abraham did not offer up Ishmael or, or you know, try to offer up Ishmael, but rather Isaac. Um, it's interesting because on the Temple Mount, there is a dome, the Dome of the Spirits. I think it's called the Dome of the Spirits. It's this little dinky dome. I mean, it's a little, little dinky. I mean, you could probably get, I don't know, you, were, you guys were just there. Well, how many guys could you maybe fit under that little dome? Probably not very many. Real small, kind of to the north side of the, no, on the Temple Mount. The t oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, they um, believe that that's where the temple sat. And the reason they believe that is because when you're on the Temple Mount, you have all of these pavements that are, you know, they're very, very old, very old pavements. And then you have this one area where you have bedrock. And, they, and that's under the Dome of the Spirits. And when you're standing in this little, I mean, it's like a little gazebo. You know, it's made out of stone. You've been there. Yeah, you know. Um, when you stand there and you look directly toward the Mount of Olives, you're lining yourself up. You're perfectly lined up with the East Gate. Guys, it's Bible prophecy. The Turks, I don't know why they did it. Maybe Satan whispered in their ear. Satan's such a fool after all. He thinks that somehow he's going to thwart the, 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 the will, the plan of, of, of God. And that will be closed up. That's what it says here in Ezekiel 44. But Jesus is going to enter through that, through that gate when he comes back to Jerusalem. Anyway, back to Psalm 118. I'm almost done. I've got to finish because I've got to set an example for Nate for next week. <laughs> Psalm 118 seems to allude to, well, it doesn't seem to. Let's be honest. It directly <coughs> speaks of the rejection by the Jews. Look at verse 21. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Listen, you guys know this. It's, it's quoted a number of times in the New Testament. It's quoted in the book of Acts. I believe it's quoted in Luke's gospel. <laughs> the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We know that that speaks of their rejection. When Jesus quoted it, when, when I think it was John, Peter, or, and John, I don't know who was speaking at the time, in Acts chapter 4, they, they quoted this. 
it speaks directly of, of Jesus' re being rejected by the Jews. And then, of course, the last one. We know we don't have to, we're not stretching anything. Maybe you think I'm stretching some of these other ones. But the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry, look at the last bit of Psalm 118. Again, let's drop, jump back up to verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna. You say, mine doesn't say Hosanna. No, it says save now. But, but in the New Testament, it says Hosanna. Save now, I pray. Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. It means to push forward. It's not, you know, the name it and claim it, the gimme, gimme, grab it, you know, type of thing. It's prosperity, biblical prosperity. It's not always the dough, you know. <laughs> There's a prosperity that's spiritual that's much greater than what uh, these uh, charlatans are seeking after today in modern-day church. It says, oh, Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He who, uh, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the, is the Lord, and he has given us light. Uh, bind the sacrifice with the cords and, and the, horn, uh, the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. You know, do we, I guess we don't have to go there, but just to kind of keep this, the flow back to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 9. Then those who were sent before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name. This is a direct quote from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is, is the kingdom of our, um, of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Beautiful. Say, so what's your point, Dan? I, I guess my point, it seems to always be my point, is that we must, we must fall in love. If we claim to be in love with the author, we must love his word. You know, guys, we could try to make it some mystical, you know, ooh, you know, let's light a candle and shut the lights off and everything. But how, how do we enjoy the intimacy of the Lord? It's not like Eastern mysticism, you know, just kind of shut your mind off and don't think about anything, and whatever comes into your mind, that's God. You know how dangerous that would be? I mean, that's so lazy and so foolish. You know that Jesus Calling, New Age book, you say, no, that's a Christian book, bestseller. I've seen it in Hobby Lobby. Walmart, <laughs> it's, it's one of those books. It's in all the, all the great spots, you know. But that's precisely what the author was doing. My mom, 
before she became a Christian, you know, she was always fascinated with uh, kind of uh, occultic things. She wouldn't call it occultic, um, you know, seances and that type of thing. And she used to, um, when my grandfather died, her and a few of her sisters would go to a fellow who would do spontaneous writing or spiritual writing, you know. So he just kind of sits there with the pen and pad and he goes into a trance and so now he's, he's supposedly uh, channeling, you know, Grandpa Stedman, you know. And then he begins to write. It's like his hand is uncontrolled. And my mother and her sisters would say, oh, isn't this amazing? Wow, oh boy. Yeah, only dad would be able to know that and say that and everything else. And, and of course, um, my mom didn't know that, um, you know, this whole thing was demonic. It's not God speaking. It's not God allowing, you know, Herbert. That's my grandpa. Herbert, Herb, you know, <laughs> go on. <laughs> Give them a message, you know, make their day. You know, it's important for a man wants to die and then the judgment. I mean, you know, there were things we could be absolute on, you know. Some people, how do you know? How do you know? Listen, there's a boldness, not an arrogance, but there's a boldness we could have with the word of God. So we don't have to listen, oh, that's your opinion. Oh, that's your interpretation. That's your No, no, no. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the word. And we could just Take people right back to the Word of God. They could deny the Word of God, but at least you get them to a place where they're denying the Word of God. They're not pretending to say, I adhere to the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. But I also believe, you see what I'm saying? You're kind of pressing the point a little bit for them so that they could see the, the futility, the foolishness, the emptiness of trusting in man. Remember? Remember the center of it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. The word confidence, it means to hide for refuge, to trust, to confide, or, um, or to be sure in. It's so frivolous. It's so foolish. It's, it's ridiculous to trust in man. Our trust should be in the Lord. I'm going to end with Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. It says, thus says the Lord. Verse 5. Cursed. So now he's a bit stronger, isn't he? He's not just saying, hey, it's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, it'd be better to trust in God than to... No, he says, cursed is a man who trusts in man. And makes flesh his strength. Whose heart departs from the Lord. Note that. To trust in man is to depart from the Lord. You know, real quick, I, see, this is what gets me, and this is how I always go along. But I remember, as I'm reading this, I remember a story. I used to love it when Pastor Chuck was alive, and he would speak at our conferences, and he would always do, like, the first night session. And a lot of times, Chuck would tell these stories of kind of like the early days 
of uh, ministry and everything. And I don't know if other men and women enjoyed that, but I loved it. I just loved hearing those early days of the, the Lord's protection and provisions and everything. Anyway, and Chuck would tell these stories, and I had heard the stories over and over and over again, but I always enjoyed hearing them over and over again, you know? And, and, and there was one story where, you know, he was working, because, you know, Pastor Chuck, he pastored a church for 19 years and still worked another job. The church was a small church, and so it, he couldn't, they couldn't support him and his family, so uh, he always had he always had other jobs. And so he was working at a, a market. It was a union thing, and uh, something had happened. I think one of, I think Kay's mother, somebody had died, and so they had been away for a week. Anyway, in the hustle and bustle of the whole thing, he forgot to pay his union dues, and he couldn't work. And he was just, you know, just fretting about the whole thing, you know. And then there was, you know, then came the temptation, you know. You know, Chuck, um, if you would just give up the ministry, he was told, if you just give up the ministry, we'd like you to come on in management. Management is not union. And so then you wouldn't have the problem, you know, you'd be able to just come in tomorrow. You'll make your management. You'll, you'll be able to work, you know. And he was talking about, you know, the, the struggles and, of all of that and everything. And, and anyway, there was all these things. And he said that out of the blue, you know, he came home. He told Kay, his wife, and, and just said, babe, we, we just need to pray about this. And, and the phone rang, and, and um, someone uh, that he knows said, hey, Chuck, I, I was just wondering, um, did you get that letter that I sent? Um, the, no, no, didn't receive a letter. We'll be watching for it, you know. And he said, why is there something important? He goes, oh, no, I was just thinking about you, and the Lord put you on my heart, and I sent a check. Um, and, you know, in Chuck's stories, you know, it was like a check for $120 or something. And, you know, because a lot of his stories go back to the early days where that would have meant something, you know. <laughs> And, um, and, and he said, oh, wow, good, wonderful, you know. And, um, and so um, he goes, so it should be coming any day, you know. I just appreciate you, Chuck, you know. Appreciate what you're doing. Love you, Chuck, you know. And Chuck gets off the phone. He said he takes Kay, and he's dancing her around the kitchen. And she's saying, Chuck, what are you doing? Oh, the Lord's provided. The Lord's provided, you know. And uh, I'm going to go buy dinner, you know, and I think he was going to go buy steaks or something like that for dinner, you know, because he was trusting in this money coming in. And he said that still small voice from the Lord spoke to him and said, Chuck, what if the check doesn't come in? I've said to you, Chuck, that I'll never leave you or forsake you. I've said to you, Chuck, that I'll provide for you. Chuck, why are you providing, why are you trusting in man rather than me? And Chuck just said, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. That's what I thought of when I read those words. For he shall be like a stub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inherit the parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land, which is not inhabitable. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Remember Psalm 1? 
which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Father, we pray. Lord, we know it. We know it with our heads. We know that we must trust you. We must not trust man. Thank you for friends. Thank you for family. Thank you for the help. Thank you for the blessings that we received from man. But we pray, Father, that we would never put our hope in man. We pray, Father, that as your people, we would be in awe of your word. That we would be in, in awe that all the way back in Ezekiel's day, you said that the East Gate would be closed up, and it's closed up today. That we'd be amazed that we could read a psalm, uh, Psalm 118. We don't even know who the author was. And yet, prophetically, he alludes to all of these different things that Jesus, that you experienced in your life and ministry, your Passion Week. Lord, help us if we're not in awe. Would you change our hearts? Would you give us a deep love for your word? Would you please speak to us, Lord, when we read your word? Because that will always encourage us to want to be in your word more. If we just simply sit, sit quietly, say, Lord, speak, and then begin to read with expectation that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.